0: Welcome to another ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and this week, as we reach the business end of the season, we hear from a recent Paris Masters champion. We're with two men still very much in with a shout of reaching the season-ending NITO ATP finals for the first time, and we're with one who's decided to bring the curtain down on an illustrious career. First, though, 2021 has been an incredible year for Brit Cameron Norrie having started it 74 in the world and currently being perched up inside the world's top 15. There have been no fewer than four finals along the way and his first two career titles including a very big one in Indian Wells. All of which has put him well in the mix to qualify for the NITO ATP finals in Turin. A lot of that improvement he puts down to his team and that's what he told Mike Cation.
1: I think that's been huge for for my success and I have Faku and and Julian and my fitness trainer Vashik to to thank a lot um, for having their continued support and I know how important it is to have a a good team around you that you can um, be honest with each other and and they push you and you push them and I think you can really just keep improving and keep um, keep pushing for more especially when you have um, familiar people around you and they tell you how it is so I think that's been absolutely huge in, in my success and um, so I think it's been been pretty lucky and I think a lot of other players have tend to switch coaches and, and switch around teams too often when a lot of the times it's the, the, the players fall and it's up to them so it's it's great that I have uh, a great group of, of people around me that I get on with and I can trust to, with everything. So I'm very lucky in that respect. So And I think that um, I've made some good decisions in that. And I'm enjoying my tennis and I'm loving um, traveling with them and loving the tour at the moment and always have. I spoke uh, a few weeks ago with a guy at TCU. Devin Bowen, a friend of both of
2: ours, um, who, who I know was very influential in your career when you were just starting as a professional. And he was telling me a little bit about um, the, the group chats, how it's, at the time, Facundo Lugone, Lugones, uh, your, your traveling coach for many years, and, and the guy you just credited, Faku, he was still very raw and immature as a coach. And it was this group i guess coming together in a chat to kind of help build you and propel you forward is that continuing now with a this larger group
1: yeah definitely and and devon still helps me um uh, still he we went just before cabo and i did a a week with him and he he drew me into the ground and um great guy he's he tells you how it is and he's he's very black or white and and I think he, I've got him to thank for a large portion of my success and he's just a, that guy you want around in your team and and he helps Faku I think he mentors Faku a little bit and I think what's also what's cool is is every time I'm doing something for the first time Faku's doing it for the first time also so and um, we're both learning and we're still pretty inexperienced on the tour. We've, we've only been on tour four years. So it's great to have someone like Devon who who knows the ins and outs and is very, very, very knowledgeable about the game of tennis. And um, like I said, he's, he's not gonna beat around the bush and, and tell you how it is. And and he's uh, very efficient with, with his drills on the court and very, um, very effective with, with how he does things. So um, I really respect the guy a lot, him and Rudidi um, helped me a lot as well. So um, great guys and great base at TCU that I have. And I think it was a huge decision for me to to go there in the end, to have all these uh, great people around me with Faku and and Rudidi and Devin and and the whole TCU TCU family who really support me. And I I feel good going there and practicing. And so it's nice to have that option. Cam, it can be hard though when you do have multiple voices
2: um who are maybe saying maybe we try this maybe we try that how have they and yourself how has everyone narrowed it down so that it's made it a bit easy for you on what to focus on from tournament to tournament month to month
1: yeah i think um especially i'm still working with a little bit with james trotman and the lta he kind of overlooks faku as well on that side, so he's got a lot of experience, so that's great for Faku and great for me to have him. And I think that the biggest thing is that they they'll have a lot of opinions on things, and they'll they'll kind of feed it through Faku, and then Faku will will kind of knows me the best, so he'll kind of pick and choose what what maybe they're gonna send the message, and he's always um, delivering the message very smoothly, very simple, and um, especially with with tennis and the way tennis players are, you don't want to have things too complicated. So Faku does a great job with that. And um, yeah, we just, we're on the same page with everything and um, we're both loving and we both want the same goals and and everything. So um, I think it's it's going well at the moment and we still think we can do things a little bit better as well. So it's exciting and, and we're still looking for more. I want to take you back a little bit Um, This was something
2: I talked about with with my producer. We were having a discussion, please stay with me on this, about Simone Biles. I don't know if you, you, obviously everybody knows about the mental health struggles she had. And um, it it kind of translated for her into what was called the twisties. Did you hear about this? The inability to kind of spatial awareness of where you are in the midst of a jump, where you are to the ground. I brought up uh, a run you had to a title. In Binghamton, New York, Okay, I might. do you know where I'm going yep. with this yeah. now? You had a, a couple of weeks where you could not find your ball toss. Yeah. There were times when you would throw it up 10 times, and, and you couldn't find the ball toss where it was. Yeah. You still won the title that week at that challenger in Binghamton, yeah. New York. If you can, explain it as best you can for what was going on in your head and then how you overcame that because, obviously, completely fine now and at this incredible success you've had
1: yeah I think that was that was crazy week um I was playing so well everything else it was yes. just the ball toss yeah. that I couldn't find and I think a lot of the other players that I played against were already completely snapping even before that the <laughs> matches because they knew that I'd done that and then I think I was playing my worst day I think I was playing Blaz Roller and it was just completely out of hand it was maybe I think I remember the re-watching the match, and I remember you were counting. Like, I think that's number thirty-four, Voltas. <laughs> so um, that that was that was tough, but I didn't really let it affect my anything else. And I was, and it, what was annoying was I wasn't doing it on purpose. Right. and I think maybe players may have thought I was. So as and as soon as uh, Faku would say, I, you see someone snap with with that, and they get completely done i don't think anyone that snapped with the voltas has come and beaten me with that and uh yeah it was was a little bit embarrassing but um i just didn't really let it affect me with anything else and um how did you solve it i still struggle a little bit slightly but um i remember in acapulco this year i was playing fognini and i did maybe two or three (laughs) and he was like to the rev this guy's 50 in the world he kind of throw the ball up like who is this guy you know and um so I've, I've been working on that and I think I'm, I'm not too bad I'm just very picky with the ones I want to try hit and and I usually don't let it affect me too much but uh, I'm trying to work on it more and just try to keep it simple and try to hold the ball in the, in the hand a, bit, a little bit longer but no that week in Binghampton was, was excellent and um I kind of stole that title in the final there against Tomo. I think I was 4-1 down on the third. So, um. Yeah, you guys have both gone on to do pretty well uh, since then.
2: It, it does go to show, though, Cam, and I, I think the ability to compartmentalize. You have something that you're struggling with, but obviously everything else seemed to be clicking very well, and I think that's a really important skill, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think especially uh, on the tennis court, you're out there alone. There's there's no one that can help you. You need a problem solved. And there's there's a million reasons to go away, a million reasons to make excuses and and this and that. So I think that the biggest thing is that I've learned, I, I think I've got slightly better at, it, is not panicking when things aren't going the way you want them to and, and to, to just um, problem solve and... And um, just try not to completely change things. Try to manage everything, and and at the end of the day, it's it's a, a tennis match, so it's, it's it's not not the biggest deal in the world. But um, I think I've definitely done a, a better job at, at problem solving with with everything, with grips, or string, or conditions, or courts, or crowd, no crowds, crowds, or people walking in between things. So there's always going to be something. So I think. Um, I've done a better job and become a little bit more experienced in dealing with certain situations and, and emotions and feelings and big matches and, and, and everything. So I think I'm still learning a lot, but I've got a little bit better at that. And good luck
0: to Cam Norrie and the other NITO ATP finals hopefuls this coming week at the Rolex Paris Masters, one of whom we hear from next. Miami Open champion and Wimbledon semi-finalist Hubert Hercatch is hoping for a big end to the season and he's been spending some time with fellow pole Iga Sfiantek talking daily routines for Tennis United. Hi, Hubie. What's up?
3: Iga, so as a tennis player, what is one thing that you do every single day?
4: It's hard to answer that question because when I have days off I I do nothing usually. Okay. Um probably I would say nutrition. I try to eat proper food. Um sometimes I have cheat meals but anyway, um when I have day off I know that it's like the best time for my body to have the best regeneration. So um, yeah,
3: Rika. It's good. That's the
4: thing I'm usually focusing about. So I heard you're a vegan. Um, how it how it is? How it is, is it working? Like on, on the tour? Yeah,
3: I mean it's it's pretty simple for me. Usually at the the tournament, I eat some uh, some rice with vegetables before my before my matches, and I try to eat very healthy and focus, because uh, that gives uh, better recovery for my body and also plenty of energy.
4: But do you have to eat something like more if you if you don't eat meat like more? Yeah, I protein? mean usually
3: usually when you cause, uh, the, the the food I eat is uh, easily digestible. So so I eat plenty of food, but but I feel pretty pretty light after after I I get it into my body.
4: It would be hard for me to do that. <laughs> I'm I have to eat meat. Like a um, few times I tried, and after like four days when I smelled meat, I was like. <laughs> That's my goal right now.
3: <laughs> so when you play a match, how your day looks like before the match, pre-match, and uh, and after it.
4: Um, basically, it's just routines. Um, so I try to do everything exactly the same as I did uh, before previous match. Um, and when I play a night session, it's. For me, it's the hardest day because for the whole day I feel like um, I have to avoid things that I'm gonna get tired after. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm just reading a book and doing Legos. And when we were actually able to go outside of the bubble, I did, you know some walks then a nap and then when I woke up from the nap I actually felt that I'm I'm fresh and my mind is you know not busy with all the stuff that happened during the day and yeah then is the perfect time for me to to play yeah
3: great so you just try to to recover as much as you can and then to be fully ready and, and loaded for the for the match
4: yeah but when I was like two years ago it was hard for me to you know adjust and to change my plan when I played night <laughs> match or when I played at 11 so with that experience that I have right now it's much much easier.
3: Yeah that's like not really easy like for the for the players because like sometimes they play a match at 11 o'clock then they have they play like fourth match on after a couple of longer matches when they when they go long so you always like need to be like adapt and then get ready like eat something proper so you always try try to like maneuver your your schedule around the match to, to be fully ready for it. Yeah that's true. So I know you're a big Rafa fan. So, so how much you looked up to him, like at uh, at his game style or maybe at his routines? Like, what do you wanna like implement in your game?
4: Um, basically, it's not only about the game uh, because, of course, I love his topspin and um, just how he plays on clay. Clay is also my favorite surface. So, when I was younger, I just you know <laughs> I wanted to be like him, but I knew it's kind of impossible because you know um, <laughs> he's. He's much, much stronger and I also like, um, you know, his attitude and Mm -hmm. how he behaves off court. Actually I saw on... um atp instagram he met his fan the older lady and that was really really cool and he he's just trying to be a good example for other people
3: yeah i mean i think like he's like amazing example that the way he works hard and his attitude like on, on the match and like, also like how he behaves so that's really and plus also like your top spin is pretty heavy as well <laughs> work, work at the worked at the french open i think even better than sure. his so so Come it's on. pretty good <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm I'm working on that, so hopefully it's gonna get better and better. Um yeah, but Rafa Rafa is great. I mean, when we were in Madrid, um I was still I was surprised that he said hi to me because I still feel like, you know, I'm a junior. I, I'm new here, and he's like a superstar. So um, that shows that he's really down to earth.
3: Yeah, I mean, like he always says hi to everyone. Super, super nice. So it's really, inspiration.
4: Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, how big is your team, and who are you traveling with on tour? Because it's pretty hard for tennis players sometimes. Um, you know, we're traveling for the whole year, so we need like a lot of support. And
3: yeah, I mean, team is is super important. Uh, here I have with me my fitness coach Przemek Piotrowicz and also my uh, my second coach Matt Terczyński. He's uh, right hand of, of my main coach CB here when, uh, when CB couldn't couldn't come so I'm um, But it's super important to have people surrounding you that they support you they understand you because uh, it's not always easy at the at the tennis court when you have plenty of emotions you really want to win and it's uh, not always happening and you need to keep the, the good attitude you need to work hard and, and just try to, to get better every single day and it's like part of the journey so it's really big when you have like important people around you that, that support you that understand you and they are just with you on that on that journey and just keep improving.
4: Do you spend a lot of time with them like of course and after work.
3: Yeah, I mean usually like uh, with with all the people. We we'll sometimes like when my physio physio cuba is around. Obviously, when CB is around, we we spend like we have dinners together. We 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 talk. We have fun. We just try to have some fun conversation re, to relax a bit because because uh, sometimes it's <laughs> it's a bit stressful. Yeah. The, the the things that you do, you're not always. Uh, Play the way you want to play, and you try to try to. I mean, be better every single day, and not always each practice is good. So, so it's good to have uh, some fun atmosphere around to, to play some jokes and uh, just be chill.
4: Yeah. Um. So my team is pretty usual. Um. I travel with three people. Um. Two boys. So my coach uh, Piotr and my physical coach and physiotherapist Matej, and also Daria as a psychologist. Um, so I think uh, it's cool because we have some kind of a balance. Uh, we have two boys and two girls, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, when that's we 50-50. Get, yeah, when we get tired of each other, there's always someone we can talk to, um, and that's good because, you know, when we, when we spend like so many weeks together, they, yeah, I mean it's, it's like, like a family, you know? yeah, yeah,
3: like uh, I mean not every you don't want you don't want to spend like hundred percent of your time with with your coach and talk because exactly. sometimes it's just you want to have some separate space. And how important is for you is your uh, mental side?
4: Very important. I always um, thought like that's the part of the game that um, I should focus on because you know. When I was younger, I felt like um, there are some things I I have to improve, Mm -hmm. like easy stuff like concentration or, you know, just how I um, deal with emotions on on court. But right now it became uh, more and more deep. And Daria also is helping me, like, um, how to have, you know, better private life because Mm -hmm. it has Mm -hmm. influence on your Mm -hmm. game. So um, actually, she's like the first psychologist that I've met that wanted to go on tour mm-hmm. and that's really nice. cool because she's like 100% part of the team and um, yeah, I really awesome. appreciate it.
3: That's awesome. I mean, mental game is like huge in, in tennis. I mean, like you try to fight for every single point and then like you make some mistakes that you don't usually do. And you try to stay, pre- you have to stay present for, for every single point and then be positive even if, if things yeah. are not going the right and way
4: actually i realized after french open that it's even harder to uh, deal with success yeah because um you know people are preparing for you know the bad times or just you know working day by day but when the like big success comes every everything is changing and suddenly you have to you know, yeah, I mean, you working. need to.
3: I think you need to like adapt because the the things surrounding you are are a bit different. Because uh,
4: expectations. And... Yeah,
3: I mean, like you expect from yourself a lot, and then like suddenly, like there's so much interest about you. I mean, doing what you did there in French Open was amazing for like for the whole country, and I mean, like also like inspiration for for me, for all the other players oh, okay. there, that uh, and the giving belief, and then like the things are changing, so you just need to like adapt to it and it's i mean sometimes it's just tough because it's like so many like more people come to you say and sometimes yeah. you just need some like quiet time for for yourself that's but.
4: true who do you think works harder me or you
3: i think me and you what, what do you think
4: <laughs> i think me well okay
3: yeah. yeah i think we both work very hard i mean
4: we should go in a gym and just check who's stronger <laughs> yeah yeah i would lose but
3: so Iga, it was great chatting to you, thanks for the conversation
0: and good luck for your tournament.
4: Thanks, have fun on the court. See you.
0: See you. Iga Sviantek and Hubi Herkacz, who will be battling with Cam Norrie, Kaspar Rud and Yannick Sinner for the last couple of spots up for grabs in Turin. One man not in that race this year is former champion of Paris, Karen Khachanov, but with an Olympic silver medal in his bag, and quarterfinal place at Wimbledon 2021 has seen steady improvement from the big Russian. Jill Krabus asked him the reasons behind that upward curve.
5: From the beginning of the year, from pre-season, I started to work a lot on my mentality, you know, what do I have to kind of improve, to, not to even to change, but, you know, sometimes it's not only about forehand or backhand, but it's more about how do you... Uh, approach to each tournament, to each conditions, to each circumstances, you know, the way you feel every day is a little bit different, right? So, and you need to adjust, you need to accept maybe that some days you don't feel as as good as the others and, you know, what are you going to do just to basically kind of give up or you just still try to do something well to to get something good out of it so I think that's the main concept what I'm trying to do better and better day by day and um, you know sometimes it's working sometimes not but I see some improvements in that area.
6: Are there certain things that you try and focus on because for me that's probably one of the most challenging things is that mentality are are there certain things you've been trying to focus on or certain things you do outside the court that help?
5: I would say it's more about how you deal with uh, with the nerves, with the, with the pressure, with uh, you know bad bad thoughts, negative emotions. You know, uh, it's how you put your negativity in turn out uh, into positivity. You know, and how do you Uh, manage and how can you control that in each particular situation or you know of the match especially you know where you feel so frustrated where you feel angry you know those kind of feelings you maybe before I was more um, kind of letting letting it go now I, I try to kind of accept it I try to understand how do I feel and how do I get out from that so that's the concept I would say
6: and I know you've been working with a few different people. Um, what, As far as having those different coaches in your head, because I know you've been with Vidro Marcic and here with Jose Clavé. Yeah. Um, what What have they brought to you that you feel like ha- has helped the most?
5: Yeah, and last year and, and a half I worked with uh, Frederick Rosenberg, Rosenberg as well. Yeah. So, you know, um, f- I mean, for me, each, each uh, coach, I would say, and each part of the team um, helped me to to make some developments yeah of my game the the, the physical aspect you know tactical technical mental right so it's all like a puzzle so i'm thankful for you know everybody so it's like i cannot let's say say one thing what i took from each each of my coaches you know but definitely it's like a whole package let's say
6: and I just want to talk about the last couple of years because it's been, um, or the last year and a half, it's been challenging, obviously, with the pandemic and stuff like that. But it's very rare as a tennis player that you get that big of a stretch of time off. Was there something specifically that you focused on?
5: I would say say that you know it's uh, it was a tough times, right, because of the health and people were dying, unfortunately, and you know all this stuff. But I would say for me being away from home all the time you know traveling all those years from junior times um, you know it was one of the I I cannot say but best times you know uh, because I could really stay at home on a daily basis uh, you know with my wife with my son you know see him grow and just like I say be a normal person you know outside of my my job my sport you know I could I had a whole day long to decide what I want to do, you know, and you have you have time for yourself at the end. So mm-hmm. and this is I think was important to kind of uh, outside of frustration in the world, right? The, the pandemics and uh, this stuff to take time for yourself and, you know, and be back on tour. OK, from tennis perspective, it was bad, of course, right, to stop for so long. But from personal perspective, it was a good time.
6: I wanted to congratulate you on your on your son. How is that? Has that changed your perspective? Um as as a player or you know going on the court does that change your perspective at all
5: on the court i wouldn't say so but you know of course um it's a big change in in your head obviously right so you are responsible for a little person so and i um, super happy it's one of the best things obviously that mm-hmm. happened to, to me after the marriage I would say so you know and um, yeah family is one of the most important things in your, in your life outside of, of your job that you do day by day constantly right so you know you're at the end normal person and you go home and you just relax and you when you have your family around you oh, okay. it's the best you know but uh, for me yeah I mean it changed uh, in a way that I need to become even I became even more mature I would mm-hmm. say you know I, I became a quite young father. I, w- I always wanted to be, actually. So, you know, and um, yeah, I'm super happy. How would you
6: say you've become more mature?
5: I don't know. It's tough to, to say, but maybe start to think about more things in life outside of just mm-hmm. tennis court and, you know, uh, okay, what I need to do to go to practice every day and, you know, do treatment and this. I, maybe I started to think more um, philosophy, philosophy yeah. outside, you know, about about myself, about uh, what do I want to achieve in life in general outside of tennis, you know, and yeah, I, I think those, those thoughts, they come to your mind when you maybe become older, I don't know, yeah. or maybe they never come. Yeah. <laughs> um, they came to me so. yeah
6: and when you were had that time at home um you know you said that you enjoyed that time with your family even being away from the tour could you give us a little insight into maybe what your daily experience was like other activities that you you enjoyed while you were at home
5: you know i just uh, yeah was really relaxed schedule in terms of you know I, did, I didn't need to wake up so early if i wanted to sleep a little longer you know even though my son didn't allow me sometimes but Yeah, I was doing fitness every day actually because we never, we never, uh, we we didn't know how long it will take, right? Mm. So we were ready to start maybe after four weeks, but obviously it was not Mm. so positive at this time. But even though I wanted to keep myself in in shape, so I was running every second day like 10k (laughs) in the in the house where we stayed, uh, my wife's parents' house in Moscow. So. Uh, you know, um, then I was doing some fitness, just uh, chilling, uh, playing with my son, staying with my wife, uh, watching TV shows. But really, uh, you know, all the all the, all those kind of daily uh, routines uh, that you enjoy being being home.
6: You yeah. Know? Do they ever travel with you? Sorry. Do they ever travel with you?
5: Uh, No, of course, my wife, before uh, Before, our son was born, she was traveling almost every tournament, you know, then with the pandemic, before pandemic started, we wanted to start traveling with our son as well for some weeks, obviously, but then, you know, uh, because of the restrictions, because of the travel restrictions, uh, accreditations and all those Uh, Things They didn't travel last year at all and this year they they Mm -hmm. started, you know, as soon as the the situation cleared up a little bit. And I want them to travel as much as possible, not every week obviously, because at the end I don't know if it's the best for the little one, but uh, at the end for him is the best when we are both with him, right? So, you know, we will see.
6: I could see that would be challenging being away from them because the calendar year is so so packed every year throughout the year. Um, I want to shift back to this year because I know one of your dreams was to play the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Just talk about how special of a moment that was for you, winning this, winning the silver medal.
5: Yeah, obviously, you know, it's um, especially in Russia, I would say in uh, our country, you know, Olympics means a lot. And I, I don't know, we were raised with those kind of thoughts and it was always a priority for me. You know, I wanted to play in 2016 and I got in last minute in Rio and, you know, I was playing tournament on clay, so I couldn't come. And uh, this year we, we set up a goal, you know, to give it a priority, I wanted to go. We had the uh, right schedule, we, I prepared also before and, uh, you know, having a good run in Wimbledon that gave me also extra confidence to go and to, you know, represent your country is never easy. And, you know, it's, you feel kind of pressure, but I think I took this pressure like more as a motivation and as a goal. And, you know, I'm extremely happy, proud uh, to finally, yeah not only participate in the Olympics yeah. but to bring a medal for myself and for the country.
6: Just one thing you mentioned because I feel like it's very difficult to you know you, a lot of players feel that pressure and expectation but you just mentioned you used it as a motivation how, I mean how do you do that because so many you know that can be challenging I think for players with that pressure to use that as a motivation.
5: <laughs> yeah obviously I mean sometimes it's tough to explain there is no really recipe you know you need to yeah. constantly have this kind of um, Uh, you know thoughts and um, Kind of talk to yourself, you know in which way you want to go, you know So this kind of uh, let's say bad voices or good voices, you know, and you kind of try to in the right direction You know, so so that's why um, yeah, I don't know. I just was going out there. First matches where I was a little bit tight. I was feeling it, you know, from the beginning. You know, it's never easy to start. New conditions was very hot. And, uh, you know, I, I went through those matches and then I started to feel like, okay, I'm in the tournament, you know, and now motivation even more increased, you know.
6: Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. I mean, I think that's great that you, if you can get mentally to that point. I know, I know also off the court, you're a huge basketball fan. I don't know that much about basketball, but <laughs> um, do you follow it? And who's your favorite team?
5: You know, I've been following Miami Heat since uh, Miami. Um, LeBron, uh, yeah. Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh were there. Since all of them, they left, you know, it's I still follow the team, obviously, and I like it right now, you know, with uh, Jimmy Butler out there. But uh, I would say... I st- I st- not I, not that I stopped following and mm-hmm. being completely crazy fan of one a team I just watch different matches I'm a LeBron fan and so now I'm really watching LA, LA mm-hmm. Lakers a lot of times and a lot of matches you know they have a great team and uh, I just wish to you know come back to basketball matches when we are in US
6: do you get to go to that I mean you probably went to them in Miami, yeah, in Miami quite a bit yeah we were to
5: tournament like three years ago three we were yeah. going three, or f- three matches I think during our doubles that we stayed with Andre until the final yeah. so I was lost in singles and we were just going to the Matches, a little practice, next day match again. Basketball match, relaxed, yeah. massage. So it was really How the relaxed atmosphere? week. Yeah, it was huge. it Was yeah. great. I really love it. You know, for yeah. me the basketball uh, basketball atmosphere is one of the nicest ones. You know, they scream. It, it, it's a little bit different from tennis. Yeah. You know, you have to be quiet during the points, and there is opposite as, as loud it is, as better. You know, so I think it's a great show.
6: Do you almost wish it was like that more in tennis? Oh,
5: I don't know. It's tough to say because you know we have rules from long time ago and uh, you know we're kind of used to and sometimes we get really mad when we have we hear even small sounds outside the court and yeah it's strange because at the end if you think uh, about soccer NHL basketball right it's it's completely different American soccer so American football yeah so yeah, different sport, different rules.
6: Yeah, and when you're at home, obviously spending time with your family. But what do you guys like to do when, when you go, when you're able to get back home in the off season, the short off season that you have?
5: Well, it depends. Last year we had pretty long off season because Australia was right. moved, and um, yeah, it depends. You know, uh, we are normally in Dubai, uh, we we live there, so especially during the winter time. And uh, you know, just sometimes chill on the beach. It's still great weather out there. You know, it's like Miami. For me and uh, just pay, stay, stay, spend time at home because you know during the week we, we I, I starting my day uh, around 8 am and i'm coming back i don't know 7 plus treatment with my physio plus dinner and then you go to sleep so the week is very busy you know with a lot of practices so the weekend you just don't want to do anything just to stay home and
0: relax You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Finally this week, we hear from Jürgen Meltzer, who has been bringing the curtain down on an illustrious career in the town of his birth, Vienna. Now 40 years old, the Austrian has been eyeing the finish line for a while now. And it was just over a year now at the NITO ATP Finals that he sat down already in reflective mood with Rich Connolly.
7: Jürgen, we're going to reflect a little bit on your career here, which I hope you'll enjoy, but your career has been a terrific one. 350 wins in singles, more than 370 in doubles, five titles, singles, 17 titles in doubles. I mean, if you told those numbers to yourself at the start of your career, what would you have thought?
8: I would have signed it (laughs) immediately. Um, When I picked up the record as a kid, you know, you always dream big, you want to you wanna become number one, you want to be the best player in the world. But you realise pretty soon that that's going to be a very tough task. So as soon as I realised the depth in tennis, um, I would have definitely signed off on five singles titles, 17 doubles titles. Um, being top ten singles and doubles, I would, have, I would have definitely agreed to that.
7: And when you picked up a racket for the first time, you picked it up with your left hand, which was important, wasn't it? Because maybe it could have been the other way around. Tell us about that.
8: Well, yes, I do a lot of things with my right hand. For example, I play table tennis with my right hand. I throw a ball with my right hand. I play soccer with my right foot. So it could have been easily my right hand in tennis too. But um, I think it was a great decision. I don't know if I would have been as good if I would have played tennis with my right hand. So it gives you a kind of an advantage being left-handed. And I think I have used that one pretty good throughout my career.
7: Be specific. What, what, is, what is the most advantageous thing?
8: Well, I think we're just fewer that play with the left hand. And so the ball, the spin comes from the other side. You have the advantage of, you know, using your lefty serve, like being break point down 40-30 or, you know, having a big point to play. It's, uh, most of the times those big points are played on the outside when you serve. So it kind of gives you a little bit of an edge to
7: the righty. When you were growing up, and you were a talented young tennis player, how much pressure was there on you? Because as an Austrian, you were sort of following in the footsteps of Thomas Muster, and people like me, I'm sure, told you that all the time. Um, What was it like? I've heard that once or twice in my career.
8: I'm sure you have. Um, In the beginning, until I was probably 14, 16 years old, it wasn't that bad, because you you try to come up, you have those idols, Thomas was one of them. But once I won Wimbledon Juniors, everything kind of changed and um, people expected, you know, for me to be the next Muster to, you know, we didn't have anybody winning a Grand Slam in Juniors. So they were kind of expecting me to do big things. And it took me quite some time to actually adjust to that pressure to realize, okay, because in Austria it was always like, I was ranked 30 for a long time in my career and people in Austria just said, okay, that's another tennis player. When you compare it to you know other countries, some of them they didn't even have top 30 players. And in Austria, it was never enough, let's put it that way. And uh, I had to grow up to mature, to actually deal with that pressure. And um, as soon as I did that, well, I did another jump in the ranking and when I became top 10, that was uh, even then the, the general public realized, okay, this kid can play.
7: What did you do then to deal with the pressure?
8: Um, I think a lot of things come with a certain age, you, you grow up, you, you understand how the media works, you, 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 know, you talk to different people. For me the biggest change was changing my team. I, when I was, I think it was in 2006 or seven. I stopped with my long-term coach and then I hired a new one, I hired Jochen Uström, I took a physio um, with me on tour, Jan Felt, who is, I changed agent to Ronnie Lightcap, who was the coach of Thomas Muster and his agent so I kind of got more professional and um, even though I felt like I was before but they showed me what's what it's really like to be professional so I think that step was the most important one in my career realizing what it means to you know dedicate everything for that one goal and um, well it worked out for me and I was very happy about that.
7: And around that time, you won your first title, didn't you, on the ATP Tour in Bucharest, 2006. And you'd been to a final a couple of times before that. To be a winner, what difference did that make?
8: Oh, it made a hell of a difference. Because um, before that, I've lost several finals. um, And once, you know, you have that kind of monkey on your shoulders, um, it's it's never easy to, to get that first win. And it was a very weird situation because I went to Bucharest by myself, no coach, nothing... And when I reached the finals, the coach was thinking about, um, should I come? Should I not come? He he was supposed to fly in on that morning. The flight got canceled. I played the finals by myself and I won it. So that also gave me that kind of, you know, self-confidence of I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody else. I can rely on myself on the court. And that gave me a big push for the rest of my career.
7: And you had some big results then subsequently. And we're going to jump forward a little bit to Roland Garros at, at 2010 where you played a particularly famous match against Novak Djokovic. Can you tell us the story of that match from your point of view?
8: Well, up to today, actually, I'm still the only guy that beat Novak from being two sets to love down. um, And it's um, still getting a lot of, you know, tweets. Once Novak is two sets to love up and he loses the third set, I have a lot of mentions then. The last player who did, or the only player who did. That must be great. It's great, and it's, um, for me... From Novak, it was probably one match, but for me, it was the match and um I just realized also after that match, like okay, I can beat those guys i can I can compete with them i'm um, m- maybe not on an everyday base, but on a good day i'm still i'm pos- I'm, I'm able to to beat those guys and um that was very important, I mean I was two sets to love down, breakdown in the third. He gave me a little opening and I took it and we battled it out and I ended up winning 6-4 in the fifth. Definitely, if you take one singles moment in my career, that's definitely the moment that I appreciate most.
7: The rest is history, they say, and the rest is a quiz question for a, for a long time. So here you are, and you narrowly lost to Rafa in the semifinals that year as well. So here you are, really a top singles player but at the same time, competing very hard in doubles. Were you, did you feel different in that manner? Because that, I mean, that was hugely unusual as it is now.
8: Yeah, it was, Um, but for me doubles was always a passion. I mean, I grew up playing a lot of soccer until actually I was 14, so I came from a team sport. And as you know, tennis is an individual sport, so you're always by yourself, and I just enjoyed the chance to celebrate with your partner and at that time i was playing with one of my best mates philip Petschner. Um, and we just had a great time on court and i didn't want to miss out on that i probably lost two or three single matches because singles matches because i was tired from playing doubles maybe the night before but um, i wouldn't i wouldn't change a thing i mean those those grand slam titles with philip and also giving me the opportunity to I think it was in 2011, I was 18 in singles and six in doubles. That's something that hasn't been done for a very long time. And um, I don't know if it will be done in the near future because singles players, they tend not to play doubles so much, so that's, if, if I have to pick one achievement of my career, it's not a tournament, it's not like some win, it's the fact that I actually managed to be top
7: 10 in singles and doubles at the same time. Did you do something differently to everybody else? Because the the argument that players make, they say, well, yeah, we love doubles, but it's, it's too hard physically. Do you think you did something different or was it just a mindset that you had?
8: I think it was the mindset that I could, you know, increase my confidence level through playing doubles. And because if I had a bad singles week, you know, you win a doubles tournament, you still raise your confidence level and it's okay for the next week in singles. And as I said, I just enjoyed it so much that um, never, ever have I thought of, you know, leaving doubles out. I, and when I stepped on court, I wanted to win. So that's, I don't know, that's probably, probably the way I was raised, the way I was, you know, taught. And um, I'm actually really happy about it that it was that way. I mean, I played 136 matches in 2010. I don't know when was the last time somebody did that.
7: 136?
8: that must be close to some... I mean, I don't know if it was ever somebody played more, maybe back in the days, but um, I think since, since I did it, I think nobody else did it.
7: That genuinely is breathtaking, and I'm sure it will be for people watching and listening. Um, it was 2011 then that you were so good in singles and doubles that you came very close to qualifying for the ATP Finals in both you were here at the O2 in doubles and quite close in singles. How close did it get?
8: It got really close. Um, it was actually at the end of 2010. Um, I played a match against Roger in Paris, the quarterfinals, paris per se, I think to have a chance to qualify. Um, in the end, I missed to be an alternate, I think by 45 points. Um, so I finished 11. Um, one match, really? Yeah, it's one match. Um, and you know, when you go back and look at the whole season—how many matches you have played for 45 points—that you probably could have won. It's a nail biter, but um, I was happy. I mean, I was—I was in a good position. I—I I came here to play doubles. Uh, I watched. I even practiced some single sets because people. I was still okay to, you know, play with the others. Being lefty um, helped a little bit. I remember I practiced with with Andy Roddick, who was a good friend of mine. Um, so it was. I kind of felt I. I could have belonged there too, so that was that was nice.
7: You're a dad now, you know, you, you have the family commitments. Is that part of the decision? Life's kind of moving in a different direction. I mean, could the body go, how long could the body go on in, in doubles?
8: I probably would have one more year or maybe two more years of doubles inside me. But um, as you said, I'm a dad. Uh, I want to see my son grow up. I had this great opportunity to work for the Austrian Tennis Federation, so... And then you know you kind of talk to your wife, you talk to your parents, um, talk to the close ones. What I mean, you have your own thoughts, but then you gotta, you know, you wanna discuss it with some people that are close to you. And during COVID, being being home for six months also showed that I'm done. I I'm I'm okay with you know putting the racket uh, on the side and, and trying to do some something else. And I'm staying in tennis. I'm. I want to give my experience to the young Austrian players and um, probably if that job opportunity wouldn't come up I would have maybe played another year but no regrets and I'm, I'm happy to go out on a high.
7: Just want to finish with talking about your home country Austria because you did say goodbye in singles in Vienna where you won a couple of times. Will those memories be amongst the most special for you as well? Winning at home is,
8: is special. Um, in the beginning of my career, it was uh, not always easy to play at home, dealing with the pressure and um, sometimes even failing and, you know, disappointing the crowd. It's it's something that every tennis player has to live through. But um, the older I get and the more confidence I had, I enjoyed it. Um, and winning in 2009 and 2010 at home is definitely one of the things I will never forget and I will always cherish. And also, I mean... I won my last singles match in Vienna because I couldn't play against Kevin Anderson after I beat Milos Raonic when I retired in singles. But um, this was also something, you know, having an almost full centre, card, centre court in Vienna, beating still a great player in Milos, um, was something to go out on a good level. And that's, um, I'm happy for that.
0: Richard Connolly speaking with Jürgen Meltzer. Our thanks to them. Also this week to Hubi Hurkac, Igor Fiantek. Cam Norrie and Karen off Remember to tune in for live coverage every day from the Rolex Paris Masters on ATP Tennis Radio. You can also keep up to date with the latest results this week from Vienna and St. Petersburg on atptour.com or via the ATP Tour app. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.